This podcast is about unsolved mysteries. Yes, the old TV show hosted by what we previously believed to be a reanimated corpse that we now think is actually just a ghost. Whenever possible, the hosts have used swear words to convey how they feel about some of the fucked up shit that was featured on this show. We will not apologize for that. What you're about to see is not a news broadcast, because this isn't TV. Tonight, on the Our Strange Skies podcast. An L.A. native moves to North Carolina in the hopes of starting a new life. He learns of a legendary treasure buried in the Blue Ridge Mountains that may be worth a fortune. Is the legend real, or is it nothing but a lost love? In the Pacific Northwest, a man so mysterious that we don't know where he's truly from takes to the hills to follow in the footsteps of the curious creature known as Bigfoot. Could he be the missing link, or is he merely a man? We need your help to locate a missing Michigan man who disappeared minutes before our broadcast. Was it just a scheduling conflict, or was he abducted by aliens? Someone, somewhere, knows the truth. Perhaps it's you. Welcome, everyone, to another special edition of the Our Strange Skies podcast, where, for the month of October, we are paying tribute to Unsolved Mysteries. And uh, we're doing it with roundtables. And today, a couple of guys that uh, I couldn't wait to get on this podcast. I volunteered them for it. So um, <laughs> That's how it happened. That's <laughs> how it happens. Scott Philbrook, Forrest Burgess of Astonishing Legends. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Well, thank you. Wait a minute. Where am I? He's, you're you're at home where you're usually oh. at. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're we're at our respective locations, but uh, thank you, Rob. It is oh so special to be here, and uh, you're one of our favorite people ever. So, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I really do, and uh, I appreciate you letting me volunteer you for this. <laughs> well, you're 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 certainly not the first and only uh, the spooky season, which is uh, it's a it's a very uh, comforting feeling to know that your people actually want to hear you keep talking <laughs> apart from the 18 hours we do a week so on our own show but uh, yeah no it's, it's always a pleasure to talk about this kind of stuff that's why we do the podcast and uh, no better person to talk to who's uh, knowledgeable in several fields of the paranormal ufos ghosts and um, probably cryptids i'm just gonna say having seen your seen one yourself <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've got a little experience in the field, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's the best experience is actually seeing one, which is one of the creepiest things I've ever heard anyone see uh, or talk about seeing. Um, but yeah, today's subject is one that's, uh, I think, near and dear to all of us and a lot of people out there who listen to these types of shows. I think it's shaped a lot of the paranormal shows that people do nowadays. And uh uh, I'll kick this to Scott first. Uh, what is your first distinct memory of Unsolved Mysteries, and what initially stood out about the first viewing that you ever saw? Well, <clears throat> I would say for me, you know, I, I don't have that um, snapshot in time moment memory, but my wife has that, but I don't have that. So I can't, I can't tell you exactly, because for me, it was just kind of always there. Mm. I don't even know 
when it began, I just felt like it was always there. And whenever it came on, I watched it and I watched it in reruns and I'm still watching it in reruns. So I, you know, I think it, it, it's going to have to go back to, um, you know, I guess high school for me would be, that's about where I was when, you know, when it was, when it was coming on. So, and I, I, you know, there's a lot going on in your life at that point, but, (laughs) but, but it probably was the, one of the first things that shaped my mind and my interest in the paranormal. And I think the thing that stood out the most to me about it more than any particular story was just stack, you know, Mm. and his, present i was like who is this guy you know and i didn't know about his earlier (laughs) film career uh, you know since i've since then i've seen him in a lot of westerns and stuff but i was just like what is going to this guy is i mean it doesn't even matter what he's talking about (laughs) it's just so like (laughs) creepy and uh it definitely it definitely got me into it the the gravity of the man he was he's practically a son just the way that he pulls that yeah tone of the room in it's so yeah, he just uh, he probably sucks the life out of any room that he was ever in. You know, probably just a great guy to be around. But uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Forrest, on your end, what are your first memories of unsolved mysteries? Well, you know, it's no specific uh, episode or topic that I can remember. Kind of like what Scott's saying. It's just it. It seems like you know it was. It was omnipresent. It was always there. But obviously, uh, when that came on, so like a lot of these shows, maybe all of them, they started off as a series of specials or or one or two specials uh, that air. And so I can only imagine the way that I tripped onto it was that, you know, when you're a kid and you're, well, I wasn't a kid. Actually, uh, Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries, I think the... the the first set of series or specials that aired was January 20th, 1987 on NBC. And uh, then later, you know, because of that, those were successful, it became a series. They picked it up and that's usually what happens on TV. If they kind of test it with a first uh, special TV special or, or a series of uh, documentary type specials rather than episodes. And if those do well, they'll latch onto that and create a series from that. And so, 1987 I was uh you know I was in college at that point just starting off and uh let's see already actually 2 years in so uh I must have caught it as the shows were airing and you know I'm not even sure I had a TV back then so it's whenever I could uh you know in the student lounge or something kind of watching these things but I remember uh definitely being interested in any kind of show at all on TV because we were so limited. We certainly didn't have uh, all this, all these choices now that you do on cable shows and, and regular TV as well. So anything with those kind of titles or subjects that they are going to cover, you know, you try and catch them when you can, because, and then that was it. There's no repeats. Uh, Well, there's repeats if they decide to, it's not on demand. You can't, uh, you know, go back and see it uh, streaming somewhere. So you had to catch it, which, you know, made you diligent about watching it when it aired. So I think the first thing that I'm sure caught my attention was that series of first documentary specials and the uh, the subjects they covered. And, you know, Robert Stack wasn't the first guy to, uh, to be the host. Those right. uh, seven specials uh, were presented by other great actors, Raymond Burr and Carl Malden, uh, both mm-hmm. with a, a tremendous amount of gravitas, uh, just great presence and, you know, acting legends in their own right. And 
those are very smart choices for the producers to bring on guys like Stack, Malden, and Burr. Uh, probably way way before Scott's time and, and yours, but uh, I grew up watching some of their TV shows, and and they were already known figures. So, uh, unlike a lot of the cable shows, you're already starting off with uh, guys that everybody knows, and so, uh, and I think Robert Stack just cemented it, and and so yeah. So my first impressions of the show were, uh, you know, it's obviously got to be the topics. It's like not many other shows were covering this kind of stuff at the time. So, like I said, when it, someone did and it, you heard that title uh, it was going to air or you heard a promo for it you definitely showed up to watch it and uh and as soon as you see the first one it's like yeah this is right up my alley um it's it's covering not only uh cold case crimes and uh criminal mysteries but also the paranormal historical mysteries everything that we kind of cover now on our own show so that would be my first uh, my first mysteries. And as soon as it starts airing and you've caught a few of them, you're hooked. And, and you try and watch them whenever you can. And, and with TV, uh, that regular schedule is a psychological trigger, too, is that you, you start to know when it's coming up. Same thing happened to me with Twin Peaks. Like, you knew exactly when it was coming up. You made sure you were prepared to watch it when it aired. I think it shuffled around a couple different time slots, but I always remember, like, Friday nights watching this. Um, yep. But uh, uh, I always talk about how the, the two shows that we watched as a family were Unsolved Mysteries and Rescue 911. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was yeah. Rescue 911 was another big one. Uh, a good friend of mine actually uh, wanted to, to interact or meet at least maybe William Shatner so badly, he pitched his own accident event happening and uh, it, they eventually went with it. He got covered on the show. No kidding. Um, yeah, it was an unfortunate, uh, terrible accident, but you know he he took it in good stride and and you know had a good good mindset about it, uh, recovering as best he could. But yeah, he he never got to meet William Shatner, uh, unfortunately, like we all would have loved to have met, you know, the original Captain Kirk. But uh, they did cover a story because it was such a dramatic rescue. Um, but yeah, that was a big one that you know you knew when it was coming on. Uh, same thing for all these shows, though. In Search Of was the same way. Uh, sightings, all these shows that, that were series, uh, like I said, we you by about that time, we did have a VHS recorder. So you could program the recorder to start recording at a specific time. And even like in TV Guide, they had codes. So if you had VHS Plus, you could punch in that code. It would automatically VCR record the Plus. show. Yeah, sorry, VCR Plus <laughs> yeah. uh, was a feature, mm-hmm. uh, and it was actually very clever. It's just a, it's just a numerical code. About, I don't it know, was six... also incredibly confusing. Uh, usually, <laughs> well, the last it's... step, the part, the yeah. part with your VCR was the confusing part. Usually, I didn't have any trouble, but we'll, we'll leave that. Well, to it depends start. on which yeah. VCR you had. That's what I'm saying. There was like, oh, I see. The code yeah. was standard, but the, yes. the way that you interacted with each VCR was radically different. Yeah, they were all, it's, you know, it's the early pioneer days of uh, home recording, which, you know, but that created my own library of these shows. And I can go back and watch these at my leisure. Uh, of course, you watched it when it aired, but the great part was that you could go back and see them on tape in your own personal videotape library. And that was groundbreaking because, yeah, we never had that uh, prior to uh, the 80s. And we had Betamax, and it was just it was just a lot of fun to be able to, to, to do that. And now everyone takes it for granted, and you get upset when you don't see a, a show streaming that you just expect to. So the world has certainly <laughs> changed. But, yeah, it's, you know, I had a library of all those shows. You can go back and, and, and watch them. And, 
um, you know, that that made all the difference because uh, I think in, in how it kind of inspired us to do the show later is that these stories then got cemented into your head and you maybe didn't remember all the details, but you knew the topics and they stuck with you. And that ended up being stuff that I would love to talk about with Scott when we first uh, started discussing uh, doing a show and, and we were just organically talking about this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, where'd you hear about that? Like, well, unsolved mysteries <laughs> or in search of, <laughs> you know, and, and that's because you didn't have many choices to go to go source that out or before that. And, uh, you know, the age of, of seeing these on TV, it was things like uh, we have, I've often said before, it's like the Time Life books or mm-hmm. the Berlitz books and you had to go to print. And, and magazines like Fate and stuff. But I wasn't really that much into them. That was only when I could come across them. So TV was really the... Oh, um, you just reminded me something. I have a yeah. box of awesome Fate magazines. Oh, yeah, that's From right. our friend Jill, and I haven't even looked through them yet. Yeah. I get that box out. Yeah, awesome. But but t- <laughs> you know, but it, and that's the thing. TV's uh, on the air, over the air, broadcast TV is really egalitarian in that it's... You just need a TV. You don't need to sign up for cable. You don't have to pay seven ninety nine a month for a streaming service, or or anything else. And those choices are great these days. It it, it gives you so much access to to so much stuff that's uh, been archived. But but really, TV. And again, the, the only uh, obligation is that usually you had to, to be there when it aired uh, at whatever time. But it it opened it up to everybody, and that just opened a whole new world for for me personally. I remember. Uh, maybe about a decade ago, they came out with the Unsolved Mysteries, the complete collection where they had everything broken down into like a category in a DVD collection. So you had one that was about murders, one that was about UFOs, ghosts, and all that stuff. And I, I popped so hard for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, oh, that's another uh, great option too is uh, – that we had later are the DVD sets, which is the entire collection. And I actually prefer watching them on disc because there's bonus materials on the disc that you don't get streaming. And mm-hmm. you can really kind of cherry pick um, in a way that's uh, it's digital, but but also analog in the way and that it's you're, you're you know, you're watching it off of disc at your selection, kind of the way that uh, record LPs are is that, yeah, it's analog, but you can pick up the needle and go to whatever track you want manually. But Mm-hmm. It allows you nonlinear skipping, <laughs> they, you know, whatever you want. So, yeah, those box sets are great. And there's usually other materials that come along with it and um, a real a real benefit. Uh, they're a little pricey if you're a student, but, you know, well yeah. worth it uh, as you're when you're an adult and you can make a collection. The memories that Unsolved Mysteries, because it's like I was kind of raised on Unsolved Mysteries. At least that's what I say, because mm-hmm. I think we started watching it when I was about six or seven. Yeah, and you're terrified most of the time because uh, it, it seemed like they were good at being able to sparse out this feeling in you because it seemed like this could be happening next door to you or yeah. something like that. <laughs> right. Well, that's you know uh, that's funny you mentioned that because I you know, often say that to Scott when we're thinking of like, well, we what do we need for something really spooky to, to throw into the lineup or, you know, it's approaching Halloween. And the thing that I think of is, you know, of course, what scares me. And I think what scares everybody is that uh, you can talk about something that happened in the past and it's a spooky story, but subjects that remind people that, 
you know, even if they don't really kind of believe them, it's a whistling through the graveyard effect where they think, well, maybe it could happen to me. Maybe mm-hmm. I could disappear in the woods. Maybe I could be abducted or maybe I go into a, a, an old place and there I'm, you know, there's a there's a ghost that haunts me, uh, whatever it is. It's that relation to yourself and the possibility of it happening to you, which I think is why. Uh, when we covered the Black Eyed Kids, that freaked out so many people because they could show up at your door. It's not very right. likely at all. So you know, I tell people, you know, they're worried about like, well, what do I have to do to protect myself against them? It's like, I, I wouldn't worry about it. It's just, it's very rare, but like a lot of paranormal stuff, to me, it definitely seems to happen uh, on occasion. So you're probably statistically fine. But uh, <laughs> but the idea, though, that something creepy could could just walk up to you anywhere when you're not expecting it. Uh, that's the other thing is that it's like kind of UFO sightings and abductions and, uh, disappearances and the stuff that was covered on unsolved mysteries. It's, it's not knowing if you go to a haunted house or an attraction like Greyfriars Kirkyard, or you go to Waverly Sanatorium in Kentucky, you, you, you're expecting maybe to, to experience a, a haunting or a spook or getting touched or something. And, and that's kind of scary, but it's also that scary feeling you get going to a, a haunted house show, you know, like a universal or something is that mm-hmm. you're paying to go there. That's what you want. It, you're scared, but you're also really excited. Uh, so it's a controlled fear that's cathartic, but not knowing when something's going to happen to you uh, and keeping that in the back of your mind. That's what I think scares people. Last year, when you guys covered uh, Resurrection Mary, I popped so hard for that because I'm like, I remember seeing that on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Scott, we yeah. referred to that. I think we, uh, I don't think we played audio from a clip, but uh, we certainly looked at those sections from Unsolved Mysteries where they covered it because they, that's another great thing about TV is that they had an interview with one of the uh, more popular uh, witnesses, you could say, in in her legend uh, you know, uh, from uh, I think the '80s, maybe uh, when that mm-hmm. when his story occurred. But you can actually see the guy. There it is. Right. You know, there he is telling his story on camera. And you know, if you've uh, had any kind of inkling now, you write up on TV and how it's produced, and and certainly Scott and I have worked on it on the fringes. You know, things are edited down, and and you know it's controlled by producers because they want the juiciest bits. You don't want you know the show the ten minutes where the guy's just talking about uh, his job leading up to the incident. You want to hear all the good details. So, you know, things are heavily edited and people should know that about their reality TV is that all the best bits are gleaned and culled into the most entertaining uh, 30 minutes or however long the show is. So, yeah, I remember I remember seeing that and it's like, yeah, that's um, that certainly reminded me and, and, you know, stuck in the back of my mind when Scott and I were considering doing the story is that uh, not only is this a great, uh, you know, regional American story uh, in the Chicago Triangle there, uh, the along Archer Avenue, but it's also something that seems to happen around the world, which is, you know, why we decided to expand that. And that's a great thing that we can do uh, on podcasts, mm-hmm. Rob, as you know, is that you can go as long or as little on a subject as you want. You're not constrained by the um, the rules of broadcast TV. So It's happening right now. It's it's just going, <laughs> yeah, I could I could just go on for another hour. <laughs> And then uh, go have lunch. It's just, it's awesome. But yeah, that's that one of those topics like that. Like you asked me what uh, what specific uh, topic or show or subject uh, that I first remember. It's just a it's just a huge miasma of all these great subjects that I was so interested in, and and that's what kept me. That's what got me viewing and kept me viewing. 
they had Dennis Farina come on. Why do you think it wasn't as successful? Do you think that Stack just had that show on lockdown, or was it uh, the way it was edited? Why do you guys think that Dennis Farina didn't really continue on the legacy all that well? Well, I mean, yeah, I do think part of it, I think there's a lot of factors there. And I love Dennis Farina. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I was a big fan of his. He really does. Um, uh, is it Lifeguard was the show? Uh, no, no, you're thinking of uh, you're thinking of a different show. You're thinking of Wise Guy, I think. Oh, uh, maybe yes. Okay. Yes, mm. but Farina wasn't in that. No, he but he's been you know he's been a lot of movies, a lot of stuff, and he um and we talked about him during uh, Resurrection Mary, right? So, mm. but uh, the, I think part of it was just you know I mean for one thing it was over on Spike, which is a different thing. It's a different audience from Lifetime, right? Right. <laughs> so right. That's, <laughs> That and especially at that time, that was a. Uh, I don't think Spike was that old then. I'm not sure, but no, know. it was very, very young at the time. Yeah. yeah, and so it's and it wasn't in every cable. It wasn't in every cable package, so it probably didn't have the reach that Lifetime did. Lifetime had a pretty sat, you know, pretty solid brand even back then. And um, I, you know, I would say some of it was that. Some of it was the fact. I mean, I know for me. What I wanted to see when I heard it was on again, because I did go find it, was was new, a lot of new stuff. And it was, um, you know, not a whole lot of new stuff. It was all just repackaged, which is, you know, I know, Rob, what you're planning to do when Forrest and I die with Astonishing Legends um, <laughs> is to come in there and just, you know, do the interstitial bits and... You know, see if you can get any mileage out of it. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I yeah. plan to uh, chop and recut a lot of things and just repackage them. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, just repackage it. And, yeah, five yeah. five thousand hours of rambling culled down to a, a really good solid seventeen minutes of actual important information. Yeah, yeah. but but you're um, right. It's no, you know what? That's uh, yeah. Wasn't it uh, mostly repackaged elements from their earlier shows? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, so you know, you've got Dennis the, in his modern, you know, we, you know, the a new shoot, and in this area that looked like a discarded set for that stood in for Houston in some old NASA movie, and then yeah. you, you know, with screens and lights and buttons, and you know, they just it we, it got kind of uh, too self aware, I think, with its control center ideas and like you know, with Stack, he's just you know standing in the fog in a trench coat, you know, it's like. <laughs> that's, <laughs> Yeah. However, I I must point out though, with Dennis Farina as the host, uh, he was on 175 episodes, and the yes. show went for uh, I think it, let's see here uh, I think it started airing on October 13, 2008, ended yes. on April 27, 2010. That's almost two years. That is a out of the park success for TV these days. I gotta say, well, you'll see shows like uh, one and a half episodes. We actually stopped airing it halfway through the third episode because it stunk, and we we just dropped a whole series. You know, whatever show it was, you see that nowadays, yeah. Uh, where it's just cheaper for them to like, you know, it's just like tearing down a, a a new house. Like, nah, let's just scrap this thing, build a new one, and that's not bad. And so it, it, people forget it's you know hosting anything for 175 episodes. That's a hosting success, in my view, uh, especially in, in contemporary TV now. And it's kind of like, you know, people will have it in their minds that it wasn't, you know, obviously not as successful or substantial or as, uh, you know, historically relevant, I guess, or, or made it a classic as the early shows uh, hosted by Stack. But 
that's not bad. And it's kind of like when people say like, oh, you jumped the shark. Well, that writer, <laughs> I remember uh, in an interview, you know, that, uh, and I can't remember his name, but he's, you know, he was a show writer for Happy Days for a long time. And he's the one who came up with the idea that, that Fonzie should <laughs> jump a shark on water skis while wearing his leather jacket. And yeah. Uh, and he said, like, you know what? It, the show didn't tank after that. It ran for another, like, over 100 episodes, I think. Mm. Um, so it wasn't, you know, but people, you know, popular culture has glommed onto that as being like, well, there you go. It's they're, They've pulled out all the bells and whistles they could, and now the show's going to tank. Um, and, and that's the end of it. But, you know, his point was that, uh, no, it actually went on. I mean, my maybe it was, you know, obviously kind of a silly idea but well i mean from a producer standpoint they you know with dennis Farina version and the 175 episodes they you know he probably could shoot uh half of those in three weeks because he was in the show for like five ten minutes you know so and then they're you know it's like a cover band they're just you're just coming in there redoing stacks part and then they play the old story so i mean you're not gonna you're not gonna get the same level of respect for no, you know, because it's yeah. a, it's definitely a money grab, you know. And the updates, the only thing that's good about it is that, uh, like, the most exciting thing about it was when there was a new update that you wouldn't have seen in a rerun of the stack ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what exactly. You're waiting right. for yeah. yeah, and that's important too. We often, uh, you know, Scott and I uh, ourselves really love it when there's an update to an existing uh, mysterious story out there, which you never seem to get because everybody moves on to the next thing. Uh, you know producers in general and and the networks who uh, air these shows and you know we often will get letters saying like hey whatever happened to that Did you guys hear anything more about that and it's like well uh we'll certainly let you know we we keep an uh an eye and an ear out for that but you know we also have to move on to other stuff and so we don't have time to to keep oh, a God, line on these stories I, sorry yeah <laughs> earlier i said lifetime i meant nbc i sorry i said the oh, wrong number. Right, sorry right. Sorry. Yeah, we, we no, but you, you're correct. The lifetime and Spike audiences do seem to be different. <laughs> so yeah. I'll yeah. agree with that. <laughs> yeah, but here, I would but, say yeah. yeah the, well, I would say one definitely pops more for the lost loves than uh, the other one does. <laughs> uh, oh, before I forget though, here's an interesting little bit of trivia. Did you know? Speaking of the Fonz, did you know that Henry Winkler was one of the executive producers on the show Sightings? Oh no! Yes, yeah. I did know that. I, I don't know, know that, but yes, I I knew did, that. The, obviously the Fonz is cool. He's 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 cool as a character and in real life. Uh, and I've often heard Henry Winkler is a real prince of a man. So, uh, well, so I can tell you this: my yeah. house in L.A. is a short distance from his house, and he is in a neighborhood that w- draws uh, lots and lots of trick or treaters, like buses <laughs> of them from other parts of L.A. Interesting. And I have walked up to his front door and received a full sized. Snickers bar from him. Oh, and so that's how you know this is a good. He is handing out full sized Snickers bars on full Halloween. bars. Well, that's yeah. something the full uh, bars. I, I could probably full bar. I would bet that you're not going to get from William Shatner. You're going to get a rebuke, and, and uh, he's going to call the cops on you. But yeah. no, that that's pretty cool. Uh, I will say, and I think maybe Rob, you could tell us. Uh, was this something that John Tenney had discussed as far as? Uh, I was just thinking about all the the different hosts here because uh, Tim White hosted sightings and right. Robert Stack, uh, of course, had that uh, the long running stint on Unsolved Mysteries. Leonard Nimoy, of course, uh, was the stalwart host of In Search of. But is I'm always curious as to what these hosts, you know, have, after doing a hundred or two hundred shows, what they personally believe. And I think it was 
Mr. Tenney, maybe you said that, well, um, Robert Stack didn't really kind of believe in these shows so much. He came in, he read his lines mm-hmm. as best he could, delivered a solid performance as a mysterious host wearing a trench coat, and then he was like, okay, I'm done with that. What's next on the, uh, what's next for me today? Do I have to show up to a VO session somewhere in Hollywood? Uh, <laughs> but he doesn't, he really wasn't that invested in the stories himself. Have you heard that? Yeah, uh, Tenny told the story, uh, I think it was the first time I had him on, that uh, he he was skeptical of like the, the paranormal stuff, yeah. and a lot of the staff was, but he had two friends that had really odd experiences. One, I believe, saw a UFO, and the other had like a ghostly encounter, mm-hmm. but uh, he always believed them. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there was an interview done by one of the producers of uh, Unsolved Mysteries, and they talked about how there were a couple of cases that Stack, uh, you know, you scratched his head on, and you know, seemed more inclined to believe. One of them was the Allagash abductions, mm. just because uh, how sincere those guys came off, and uh, the fact that there were four witnesses in that case. To begin with, and I and I think the Taos hum was another one of those, mm. which uh, uh, apparently was the hardest segment to shoot for Unsolved Mysteries because there wasn't a lot of visuals to accompany it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not surprised. I'll bet. But no, that's. I think he's then very representative of most of the population out there who've never really had an experience themselves or uh, had one and didn't continue to deny it to themselves. It's you. You don't know. You tend to trust your friends' stories. It's like, well, I don't know what they saw, but I know this person for many years, and and they're pretty solid to me. And if they're telling me that this happened or they saw this, uh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, even though I I can't wrap my head around it. Uh, but that was interesting to me uh, when we covered the Sally House last year for Halloween, and the story that uh, you know host Tim White of Sightings personally had was that he was kind of the same way he came in and he he you know read his lines and he uh delivered a very solid and neutral uh, objective delivery on you know on the stories or being the host of them which i think is necessary with these shows uh especially ones that are presented in a news format is that you take a more journalistic approach to it and and your delivery you know robert stack of course was very dramatic and that's what he brings and that's what was such a uh, you know, defining tone of the show. But Tim White was so kind of freaked out by the Sally House case and the Pickmans that he very uncharacteristically traveled to Atchison, Kansas, because he wanted to see it for himself, to see if these people were faking it. And that's when he had that experience on camera of what appeared to be the initials uh, MC, the scratches appearing on the lower back, of uh tony pickman tony pickman and i think that that was his moment where he's like whoa i i can't deny this i just saw this happen we got it on tape uh and i don't know what to make of this and that you know that was his personal moment which happened to be captured on television wow i i didn't even know that story but like scott you're like it's it's like in the same wheelhouse here man you're, yeah. you're 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 part of that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now he did, he needs a TV yeah. show to go to go with it to follow up on that rather than the, yeah. the other way around. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the wheelhouse. <laughs> so so Scott, you think about uh, going back to the Sally House or? Um... 
<laughs> um, no, I don't think about going back there. There's been an evolution of things since that story took place that would, you know, there's there's new there's new players in the game with regard to everything that happened there. But we're we're still trying to figure out how to parse all that from a story standpoint. But I don't particularly want to go back there. No, can't say mm-hmm. that I do. But oh, and, uh, he'll be back. He I'm will return. Particularly wary of uh, other places that have the same reputation as well. Completely understandable. I, <laughs> I've walked in your. I've walked in your footsteps. Yeah. And uh, there, are, there have been a few places where um, we've gotten stuff, and I haven't wanted to go back, but we we have. And uh, you did uh, what I affectionately like to call played WebMD with the universe. You searched it <laughs> out, man, and you got stuff back that you did not want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. TMI. but it's not a uh i'll just say you know in scott's case it's not uh a hypochondriacal if that's the correct pronunciation of the term it's just you know what i'm saying it's not something where he it's like oh there you go everything's a ghost i mean he's still very level-headed he's one of the most level-headed and uh you know objective guys uh out there that i know but i think it's just some you come across something that you can't deny Mm -hmm. and i've seen that happen on that other end of the spectrum where somebody will tell me the story and it's like oh my gosh you, that really happened exactly as you told me like yeah but it was nothing it's like how can you say it was nothing because <laughs> because deep down they don't want to think it was anything so um right you know people it, you know the, the the response that we got uh you know some, for some people the show like oh there you go they're gonna believe that everything's ghosts now and everything's a spook or a spirit and it's like no it's just that we're we're we've now come across an occasion where that maybe was the case. It's it's hard to deny. So we can't, you know, it'd be wrong to ourselves personally to to go on denying that and and not be objective, but keep that in the wheelhouse, so to speak. Right. No, exactly. Were there any segments that you look forward to seeing uh, when an, when an episode would come on? Like uh, we all know Scott loves Lost Loves. Um, but, <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> I know you were trying to get a rise out of me a minute ago. I didn't take the bait. <laughs> he did but say that somewhere. Loves... Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I did. But uh, were there any segments Boo. that you you were really looking forward to when you tune into an episode? Uh, you know, it's funny. My wife and I have watched so many of them together over the years. We've been married a long time. Uh, just had our twenty fifth anniversary, actually. So we've done a lot of unsolved mysteries watching together, and we have that. We both have these two favorite stories and mm-hmm. i I, th- I think the one of them is the guy uh, his name was david stone and he's the one that like wandered off into the desert and then he left that note that mm-hmm. uh and i looked it up because i wanted to get the note right this is the note he left before he wandered into the desert and they didn't find him for years eventually they found his skeleton but the uh the note said they think the word is in the safe six knives in rob's room use buys your tea and you take your chances, Halloween. So those were his last words. Wait, who was that again? <laughs> David Stone was his name. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why you would know, know that, but uh, just a guy who, he was a stockbroker from La Jolla, who just drove to Granite Reef in uh, New Mexico and wandered into the desert and died. And then he left that note behind. And it was Halloween that he did it, by the way. And I guess he encountered somebody... And told them he was looking for the beast. And uh, 
They, and then he just never came back. And then on uh, February, in February of 92, a couple of hikers found his skeletal remains, but still no indication of what actually killed him, other than probably just dehydration. But uh, yeah, you buys your tea and you takes your chances. Although Emily and I, you know, my wife and I thought it was you use buys your teas like tickets. But this this on, on the wiki here, it says T-T-E-A. Either way, it, neither one makes sense. <laughs> you buy some, but you buys your tea and you takes your chances or you take your chances. And then Halloween. So mm-hmm. that, that's well, that one's on it. Yeah. That one is just, I'm always like, was well, there an update on this one? You know, I'll even watch the old reruns knowing they don't have any updates since from forever. And you'll be mm-hmm. like, maybe there's an update. But then, and then um, the other one I really like is the guy who jumped the fence and then jumped onto the outside of an airplane on a wing, on the wing. Well, first he came in and asked, he wanted to fly and he asked if he could get on a plane. Like and and what's the plane. cheapest fare you have? Well, we have the wing. Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, and then I guess when this plane was headed off down the runway, he ran and jumped onto the wing. And then my favorite thing is this guy that works at the airport. They interview him. He's like <laughs> like an air, aircraft mechanic or something. And he's like, what would cause a man to want to hitch a ride on the outside of an aircraft? <laughs> you know, <just laughs> and, uh, they, you know, the plane took off. He fell off the plane and, like, landed in a fence and died. And... uh he, and he had a whole, like, kind of Jason Bourne situation. Like, no ID, Somerton Man kind of deal. Tags missing, you know. Th- there was all these implications that he was, you know, special ops or something. And who was chasing him and all that kind of thing. So, you never know. But uh, I like those two. <laughs> <laughs> those are, like, not what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty crazy. It's, there's another story I saw, but I don't think it was on Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, I know I saw it a long time ago, and so I can't, I couldn't say that it was an Unsolved Mysteries episode. It was about a a, a psychic woman who helped police with, you know, criminals, and she, like, mentally stabbed a guy who was driving, and... I, I he, think I remember this story. It yeah. wasn't Unsolved Mysteries, but it, I do remember this story. And he, like, ran off the road and crashed, and he was like, it felt like somebody was stabbing me. Like, that story has blown my mind. I'm like, I really want to drill down on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She stabbed him with her mind and made him wreck his car. So uh, I've heard of that he had, before. he like, kidnapped somebody or something. Yeah. So. That's incredible, man. That yeah. is incredible. That's another show, <laughs> Rob, from the 80s. That's incredible. You may not yes, yeah. you're, you're absolutely correct on but that one. There were some but... incredible shows uh, going on in that era. They weren't all cheesy fodder, and uh, they were very seminal and informative uh, to our growing up and how, you know, uh, the subjects that we like to talk about today. Uh, definitely molded uh, us in these ways, molded all of us into this, because... Uh, uh, I mean, how many options really were there for paranormal programming throughout the years? I mean, you go to, like, In Search Of, and uh, that's... Is that kind of the start of things? Or... uh, Because, like, I I don't even know beyond In Search Of. I think for reality-based... Yeah, I think for reality-based paranormal programming, it probably is. I haven't researched that, but I can't think of anything that predated that. I mean, prior to that, you're looking at, you know, specials or... Um, fictional stuff like the Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or whatever, and you know, obviously, you know, In Search of was originally supposed to be hosted by Rod Serling, 
Oh, was is, it? Yeah, which is fascinating. Mm. But um, old poor old Rod kicked the bucket before it went into production. So mm. they brought in Spock. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> anyway, but you know, for and I think and they they're different. You know, I I um both appeal to me, but for different reasons. Like I the the production value on in search of just the music and then the you know they're having to use film back then and the kind of poor quality of the interview audio it's very analog show which is Mm -hmm. something i really liked about it Uh, but the other thing i liked about as much as we credit unsolved mysteries as being an uh, inspiration for astonishing legends the thing that i liked about in search of too was that i felt like in terms of topics, it was more varied and less afraid to do something weird, like see if yogurt had feelings and stuff like that. Or, yeah, or if plants had feelings. Yeah, yeah or if plants had feelings. Oh yeah. well, that's uh, is, Rob, isn't that uh, uh, Sheldrake, who yeah. was experimenting? Yeah. The the uh, famed UFO researcher was experimenting with that uh, phenomenon. Yes. <laughs> yep, that uh, you are correct. Uh, <laughs> Probably not the highlight of his research, but you know. <laughs> well, you know, I hey, that's a lot of it is personal drive uh, to the to the researcher. You know, they it's like uh, doctors often get into a specialized field because it has some connection to themselves or their family, and they're trying to they're trying to solve it for that reason. But uh, that's why they get into it. But I think what Scott was talking about the different feels of the the show, the 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 tone and the themes. Uh, in search of was more of a nod, at least for me. Uh, that uh, I think first airing in uh, 1977, going to 1982, that show had more of a film documentary feel to me than in you know than Unsolved Mysteries, which had a more regular TV show feel to it. Yeah, and totally different yep. things. So in, for me, in search of you're talking about what were the first outlets uh, for visual paranormal coverage of of this type of of media and you i think you also wanted to know uh you know do we consider in search of and um you know unsolved mysteries to be of the reality tv genre and i don't per se i would say that in search of for itself is was more that news documentary feel and that's where um i started to watch filmed coverage of these types of stories as documentaries and sometimes you could see them in the theater uh is it uh, sun international pictures or sun classic pictures uh the guys who uh would do some of these bigfoot type movies or include the patterson gimlin film clips into them incorporating them that's also an outlet that is long gone is that you could sometimes go to the theater and see these feature-length documentaries uh, on strange subjects and chariots of the gods and uh you know Danikin's uh you know stuff based on Danikin's writings and you you know that feel carried over for me into in search of so when Scott says you know there's an analog feel to me it's that film quality feeling yeah. and that they're showing a lot of uh, 16 millimeter footage i you know one classic uh, clip on in search of was uh, the Amelia Earhart 
episode, which we've certainly watched a lot because of our involvement with the story now and and just seeing clips of like Irene Bolam uh, declaring yeah, like, I am not really Amelia cool. Earhart. <laughs> I am not a mystery woman. And, you know, that's very dramatic. And it's like it, that's that newsreel feel that, you know, the early baby boomers would get from actually going and seeing these newsreel clips in the theater. So that kind of carried over that with uh, the host Leonard Nimoy. It had a real again, gravitas to it in that, um, you know, and it's very objective. So it to me, that was much more of a journalistic feel to it rather than a tv show but both are enjoyable and i would agree with scott for for their own reasons so forrest are there any stories from unsolved mysteries that have stuck in your mind uh upon you know watching an episode or something like that uh you know i it's funny like i was thinking about that and nothing really pops out as as being central except when you go to mention them or i hear them mentioned by other people like yourself it's like you mentioned uh resurrection mary it's like oh yeah and then that the visuals of that uh show kind of you know resurface in my mind um and then there's ones that you know everybody has covered but you definitely remember uh the you know bits of the show uh covering it and one would be i think for just more the true crime angle would be uh db cooper i think mm-hmm. you know some of these more uh, mysterious elements uh you know and that carries even into the farina age of the show uh like for uh the sheriff uh henry palmer and that episode and that had reenacted bits and the other thing i'll say about um about these shows is that we when they did reenactments if they did they they handled it the right way i think and that don't you know, they didn't get too involved with dialogue and story and character because that takes the viewer away from the more news coverage format of it to a dramatic format because then people get invested in like, well, who are these characters again? And who is that guy? And, and then you go back to the narrator. And I think that's one thing that the TV show lore tried to do, but you have to approach it carefully. And I think that's why, in search of and and unsolved mysteries were you know so well done and had such impact is because they had the right blend of a reenactment where you needed it but not too much and not a whole lot of dialogue uh, from those characters but mostly you're getting the solid information in a cold down fashion you know as, as best as they could and the time allotted to them but um yeah so I, as far as like what and solve mystery sticks out it's like there's no particular episode that really rings in my mind unless you mention it then then the the image and the feeling comes up for me and uh and i'll remember it but it's just because they covered so many things that i was interested in it's it's all kind of a a blend and a fond memory of uh uh mishmash stories at this point i uh i think it was a couple months ago we might have been in the uh the chat that we have on twitter or something like that and i mentioned i think uh the the la posada hotel and uh all of a sudden rich pops up and says hey i've actually taken a tour of that and i'm like what because <laughs> <laughs> uh it, it's the uh haunting of julia Staub, and there was like one image in my mind that I'll never be able to get out of my head, and it's seeing Julia Staub in the men's room uh, mirror. I'm like, uh, what? No. <laughs> why would you pick? Why would you pick the men's room to appear? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, it's uh, you don't know what the rules are, <laughs> the social rules are on the other <laughs> side. Maybe it's just, it's all co-ed. So, uh, 
Yeah, right. it, you know, but that's it's so interesting though that as far as a news format, it is, uh, and I believe those shows were which were much more news format than reality TV per se as we think of it today. That I'll credit to uh, really, you know, it often gets credited as really the first reality series on TV, and that would be MTV's The Real World. Uh, which mm-hmm. itself was inspired by a groundbreaking documentary series on PBS called An American Family, and that aired in 1973. And that was one of the first kind of reality show type film documentaries. And the real world, really, that's where it's just you're filming just people doing their daily interactive activities, and that's edited down into an entertaining um, you know, show. But uh, I think of those shows really as being more uh, in a news format than reality TV. And I think that's also, you know, that's the chill you get when you see a movie or a TV show. It's, you know, you get the words based on a true story that gets your attention. And for me, that's why, uh, it, why it made it memorable because even when you're younger, you're thinking like, wait, something like this really happened. Maybe not the uh, totally the way that they're presenting, but some of these elements are true. That's wild. And Mm -hmm. that's what sticks with us. I'll never forget being uh maybe 13 or 14 at the time i just learned about what the amityville horror was and Mm. my father turns and tells me oh yeah your your aunt lived down the street from that house really wow (laughs) did uh, did you get any kind of stories from her passed down or uh or any inclination what the family was like um no they Hmm. I I remember Dad saying that he thought that his uh, his aunt uh, thought it was BS, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but like I a mean, lot of people, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was always kind of weird things like that, and like uh, that that come out at odd times around like the family table and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I remember telling asking my dad, I was like, "What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen, Dad?" He's like, I saw a dead body when I was nine years old like, oh in a God. garbage heap. I'm like, okay, that's that's weird. Wow. Uh, <laughs> boy, that's traumatic. Um. Yeah. Living on Long Island, I guess, will do that to you. <laughs> Long Island. <laughs> yeah. Long Island. But yeah, it, Island. well, that's, you know, those experiences, either you kind of store them away and you never want to think about them again, or you think about them a lot and they're always there in the back of your mind and mm-hmm. inform the things that we're interested in or, uh, you know, you know, and like for me, hearing stories like that, either from relatives or, or TV shows, and when it has that um, background or at least claim that, you know, it's a true story or some parts of it are true, you know, that to me uh, really sets it in my memory. So, you know, even things like um, Lost Treasure, Buried Treasure was exciting, you know, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, unexplained phenomena that I thought was scientific in nature, but like that really happens. And, and that ties in with this story and, you know, and then just legends and lore that, and that's, I think another reason the, the show was so successful that, you know, an element that we're trying to incorporate with our own show is, is to cover all these different bases and you're going to lose some people or people will come back uh, when they, it's more of a topic they want to hear about, um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they're not into Lost Treasure or uh, Wild West Legends and all that, but uh, we think it's still interesting and we get to cover it and hopefully they'll everyone will come back when it's something that's more uh, to their liking. But as far as 
the TV show, I didn't never I never skip one because it's like, well, I don't like lost loves. <laughs> it's like, or <laughs> I don't like uh, I don't like missing persons cases. You watched all of them, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You hung around for the whole episode. You weren't missing anything, and that's just you know y- you showed up for it. That theme song hooked you from you know the start. Which we we haven't talked about yet, but mm-hmm. is there a more memorable theme song for any show in the last like thirty years? Uh, I don't feel like no. I mean, that's the one. That's well, you know what? There is one other. There's a close second, at least. Law mm-hmm. and Order. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Law and Order. <laughs> well, it's just there. that one. Ding ding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that. I don't think anybody remembers the rest of the, uh, dun, the theme dun, music. Yeah, so yeah, there you, there you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, and, and and in terms of invoking a feeling, you know, it's it's the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it invokes that dread, and then that ending theme is so weird. Um, it's that you know slow jazz number. <laughs> I I <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It's yeah. like. Uh, at the beginning, the guy's getting ready to commit the act. At the end, um, he's puffing on a cigarette or something. <laughs> that ending theme. <laughs> well, that as far as the uh, uh, Unsolved Mysteries theme song, it, at least it says here in a in a wiki entry that it was changed five times over the years. Uh, 93, 95, yeah. 97, 2001, 2008. Uh, they'll tinker with it, but once you know something is really clicking with an audience it's best not to change it too much other than you can kind of update a little bit but but you know that becomes recognizable to people and when you hear that that's a pavlov's dog's response you you perk up it's like ooh, you're getting excited it's an unsolved mysteries is about to happen and then you play that during uh or at the uh, beginning of every commercial break and uh, or coming back and it just uh you know cements that also into your enjoyment of the show mm-hmm one hundred percent, man. Uh, I to this day I cannot hear like every now and then I'll just go onto like YouTube or something, just pull that up, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm scared out of my wits right now. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you're gonna get a good basic overview of every topic that they they cover, and I think that's another uh, element to the success of the show is that you know. They, as we all do, report as best we can with the facts that we have now. And a lot of things, as you know, Rob, in this field are heavily debated, even by these so-called experts. Mm-hmm. But you can report. Uh, we try to report all the angles and findings and let people decide. And I think Unsolved Mysteries gave you a good, solid base knowledge of it that if you're that interested, go explore yourself. You know, go to the library. Go go check out magazines and, and other um, uh, print media and and books and go follow up on it yourself but at least it delivered i think a a pretty decent and objective covering of the stories that they did and and the other thing is that you're when you go to interview people you know that's going to the source and you may not believe them but that's coming from the horse's mouth as they say uh (laughs) that's from a that's directly the statements from a witness and you know, that's a lot of all you can go on with these types of paranormal stories because you, people don't often capture them on film, you know. Right. So you got to go that, you know, go by pe- what people tell you. Yeah. And even today, like video evidence as it is, is just uh, the, the way that uh, 
special effects can be done really cheap uh, on your phones nowadays. It makes it really difficult to discern what good footage is versus what isn't. Oh, it's just and... going to get harder and harder to spot yeah. fakes, if not impossible. I mean, yeah. I used to sit in edit bays with systems that cost half a million dollars and pay two to five thousand dollars a day to stabilize images you can get a mm -hmm. free app for that now so yep. oh, it's just built into everything so it's it's crazy and uh i think um that really is going to it's weird because there's this rising arc of more people having cameras and being able to capture things no matter where they are even in the remotest woods or whatever they'll they're gonna have a camera on them now but by the same token uh, I don't know if you've been following any of the advanced uh, developments in deep fakes, but all the deep fake people, and specifically when it comes to politics, are uh, saying that within six months, I think from now, <clears throat> from the day we're recording this, you you won't be able to tell a deep fake from a real video of anything. Right. So right. I mean that wars have begun on less than that. So it's it's crazy everything that's yeah. happening, and um, I think that. When it comes to the cryptids, and it's just going to be so much easier to CGI something than it used to be. Um, it's it's going to be hard to know. That's why I continue to stick with um, the greatest appeal for me in terms of just about any kind of case is one that leaves some sort of trace evidence that can't conclusively be identified. Right. Yeah. Because 100%. now video isn't enough anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So... But that's what made the Patterson-Gimlin film uh, such a treasure, we think, is because it's that weird uh, paradox, is that it's it's old enough and on film that no one has ever said that, well, there you go, they faked the film. It's an optical, you know, you'd have to do an optical uh, special effect on it to, mm -hmm. to, to fake that in there. And even then, uh, it's not animated. So what you're seeing is that, okay, maybe that's not the real background. That's how you could do an optical uh, effect, which is what, you know, which is how they used to do movie film effects, is that it's an optical printer and it's laying down one image uh, over another. Or in Star Wars, you had rotoscoping. But what you're seeing is someone, if it's not real, then it's someone in a suit who's very weirdly shaped, and that's it. And so no one's ever said the film itself was a fake. And that's why we thought it was such a, a, a interesting piece of evidence and that there it is. So the film itself isn't fake. So then you have to discuss what are we seeing? Is that fake? And, you know, that's a treasure. So I and Rob, let me ask you this. Do you know of any piece of film footage of a supposed UFO that is considered a classic or beyond extreme, you know, beyond debunking? I think the closest thing that we have in terms of video footage is probably the Phoenix Lights. Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty well... I think it's beyond reproach at this point. Yeah. I don't think anybody has explained it, and I don't think it's flares. As someone who lives in an area in which military planes fly by all the time and drop flares, I know what they look like. And mm -hmm. Didn't really look like that. But that that's probably the most iconic piece of video footage that it's still held to be, you know, authentic. Yeah, and so many people saw it all at once. Uh, it's, yeah. it's remarkable. Mm -hmm. uh, but do, what about any classic film um, evidence uh, can you think of, uh, you know, barring something like 
maybe from Georgia Damsky or somebody <laughs> that, you know, clearly uh, is questionable. Is there any piece of film footage that you've seen or, or even photographs that you think are, are, you know, that hold up? I think the Rex Heflin photos, it's the one UFO. He took these photos in the mid sixties and mm-hmm. it looks almost like a hubcap that's flying in the air. Yes. Yeah. I know they, that one. Yeah. They have not been able to debunk that. Even, um, one of the best scientists that they had at the time, John McDonald, he could not, uh, debunk that photo and there is a there's another piece of video footage um hold on let me find it i I forget what the it's the tremonton ufo video this Mm. is from the early 50s back in i want to say like 51 52 this is around the time that the robertson panel has come in to project blue book and is kind of overseeing it uh before making its recommendation about how reports should be handled and this, it's a video of, uh, it's a daytime video, and what you can see is there's these, like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine dots in the sky. They don't look like balloons, and they're not flying like balloons, because they're kind of, like, interacting a little bit with each other, but mm-hmm. I would say that that is probably the only other video footage that I would go to mm. and say that that's pretty legit. Interesting. Yeah, I see it here. Hang on a second. Um, it's short. It's only I think it's only like ten seconds or fifty seconds or something like that. But yeah, uh, it's a it's an interesting video, and it's and it was uh, taken by I want to say a military Delbert uh, Newhouse. Yeah, it's a Delbert Newhouse. I, he worked for the military, I do believe, and he was just on vacation, saw those and. Uh, took that video footage with it right was there uh i can't remember actually i know that kenneth arnold had a 16 millimeter camera in the cockpit with him did did, is that footage out there no he did he didn't take uh, any footage of of what he saw right instead what he was focused on was trying to figure out what they were so he was trying to measure their speed uh judging uh how fast they were going uh between mount adams and mount rainier right so he was calculating their speed and a fun little fact what he also tried to do was figure out how large they were so what he Mm -hmm. did was he had something called a Zeus fastener, D Z O U S. And what these were is they basically they went on the outside of a plane and they they kept the skin tight to the plane so it didn't like fall off. So like every time that the plane like shimmied or something like that, it would kind of tighten it up so it wouldn't fall off. Right. And he takes the Zeus fastener and he holds it up and he's able to get a measurement of how big they are. So mm-hmm. he was more focused on maybe like the scientific aspect than uh, gathering any you know, video evidence or any or, or photographic yeah. evidence. Yeah. Interesting. Nobody's tried to stabilize this or clean it up, I, and we know somebody that can do that. Oh. I mean, that would be cool to see because yeah. uh, I, I definitely hold it up there as one of the – best pieces of 
footage that they have. And there is an interesting one from, I believe, Germany in the 90s. There was uh, a show, a couple of TV specials hosted by none other than Jonathan Frakes called UFOs, the best evidence ever caught yeah, on TV. Yeah, I remember that. Yep, yeah. yep. And there is this f- video footage from, I'm pretty sure it was Germany, and it's of a similar formation of objects in the sky. They lo- they almost look like they're doing the same kind of pattern. Another one that I would put up there is maybe the uh, Mexico City eclipse footage that Jaime Musan, the Mexican journalist, made yes. famous. Yes, I remember. And, I know him, or know of him, anyway. Yeah, there was... Uh, People shot this like it looked like a basically a saucer that uh, was metallic and it moved, but it was shot from so many angles that you know it was kind of hard to dispute. Oh, last question I have for you guys: uh, Netflix announced that they were bringing back Unsolved Mysteries on their service. Who would you want to see host this show, and what stories would you want to see them feature? Even if they're from, you know, stories that you've covered. Um, I feel like the obvious candidate for the best host is Forrest Burgess, frankly. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, I really? could get behind that immediately. Yeah, um, 100%. Well, we're going to start a petition. I, yep. We should. We <laughs> yeah. could get some signatures there. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know who else well, I would. obviously, John E.L. Tenney. Yeah, John would, would be awesome. Yeah. He would be amazing. Uh, John would be awesome. I don't think that John would do it no. just yeah. because of how his relationship ended with Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. But, but, well, that's the, he, but that's he, such a great backstory, though. It is. It, he would be perfect for it. Yeah. Or yeah. Micah Hanks. Yep. Um, yeah. I'd vote for Micah, too. I just I just spent uh, two hours having beers with Micah two days ago, so... Uh, up in the North Carolina mountains, and uh, what a fabulous guy, well-educated, very articulate, and uh, mm-hmm. has an amazing voice as well. He does. He, yeah. he, would, be, he would be perfect for that. I, uh, on the last roundtable that we did, I singled out Brian Cranston just because <laughs> I think he could bring a little humor to it, and yeah. I think oh, he yeah. need a little humor. Yeah. That would be great, too. Yeah, there, there's a lot yeah. of good choices. Netflix, yeah. are you listening? <laughs> yeah, come on, well, Netflix, get at us. Rob, let me ask you this, though. It, you know, that's the trend we're talking about here, the uh, the trends in television coverage and, and media coverage of the types of topics that we're interested in. So let's say mostly the paranormal, but also, uh, you know, true crime mysteries, uh, lost loves, just for Scott. And <laughs> you're, seeing, you're seeing the host of these shows, especially on cable, as being much more interactive and involved. So I can't, I haven't actually watched any. I, I, I want to uh, as soon as possible, but uh, Zachary Quinto. Yeah. Uh, hosting the rebooting uh, of the show. And I don't know how much personally he is invested in these types of subjects, but what you're seeing, uh, what I'm saying is that you're seeing people like Josh Gates who are great and they're, they're really out in the field. They were doing that before. And so cable television, producers and networks are saying well let's get people who are real experts in this that are also uh personable on camera uh have a good cue quotient and you know look good and can speak well and articulate but uh where is that line for you as far as like having a host that's maybe just a a really cool actor <laughs> that's not that interested <laughs> but like man they really deliver the lines and the ominous tone just as well as robert stack and they would be fine or do you would you rather see somebody who is much more of a field investigator or knowledgeable in the, you know, in these subjects. 
for me, it's somebody who can sell me the subject no matter what. Mm-hmm. But also, I think the role needs somebody who has a sense of humor. Yeah. Because uh, even when Stack did the lighter, lighthearted segments at times, mm-hmm. he's just like bringing it a little too hard. Need to dial yeah. it back just a little <laughs> bit. But there's uh, um, an unseen think, wink, you know, maybe yeah, in, the, in yeah. the tone of his voice. I think it would be cool to see somebody in the field, you know, somebody who has investigated this kind of stuff to be on, you know, the host of the show. But realistically, anybody who can balance that role between serious and humor mm-hmm. would, would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I and and since I don't have cable, I never saw uh, the 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 Rob Lowe show. Um, oh, the, the low, the low files, the low files, <laughs> the low down, which I'm sure that was probably Yo. taken, but uh, yeah, it's, that's where you have somebody who's, you know, very personable on camera and also has a personal interest in it. And uh, I was just curious, like what, what did that blend bring to the show? Uh, because you, you have to have a, you know, like Scott has always said, you know, we try to present these stories um, not tongue in cheek, but you know, with a sense that we're, we're laughing at ourselves. We're laughing with our subjects if there's any humor to be found in it. And mm-hmm. uh, but we're never laughing at them. And we're right. always respectful, no matter how crazy something sounds. You know, we're we're going to present it and let the listener decide. And and that's been our approach. But uh, you know, I think you're right in those elements in that there has to be a bit of seriousness, but also lightheartedness and and yeah, that knowing wink of like I know this sounds crazy, but here's the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also I want, uh, you know, what I demand out of, uh, these shows is that at least be grounded in some of the factual reporting, you know, or, or what's known and, you know, don't try and fake or hype anything or pump stuff up. That's, that's not there. I at least want to be able to leap off from that starting point, uh, with some solid knowledge on it and, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. I'm not asking for too much, but. <laughs> but I agree with you in a whole, yeah, it, it's, it needs to be watchable above all else, you know, uh, something that's dry and boring, just, it's, it's just not going to work for anybody. And, uh, you know, might be a good research tool, but, uh, you know, we're not here to see a dry lecture on it. It's the entertainment factor is what drew us in the first place and, and kept us watching. I can't thank you guys enough for coming on the podcast. Let everybody know where they can find you, plug your stuff, and uh, yeah, just uh, let everybody know uh, where they can find you on the internet. Well, I have a news announcement say, here. Uh, Scott, oh, sorry, but but all Whoa. of our shows are getting pulled off of the internet and will be available only by LP through a club, oh, which wow. you can sign up for, much yes. like Roger Patterson. But so. it's high-grain vinyl. <laughs> yes. Each copy, each record will cost $50. Okay. And they come in uh, sets of some artwork. Yeah. They, they come in It'll... sets of fifty for one episode because that's how long <laughs> an LP would need to play for each one. But we thought it was kind of a fun nod to uh, you know the fun times of the uh, the sixties and seventies when that's how you you know you, you signed up for a newsletter and you you paid eight bucks a month and you got uh, you got some bonus materials. And uh, no, seriously. On the plus side, <laughs> if you order all fifty, though, we send you one of those record players that has like you can wear it like a. Um, an old timey cigarette vendor. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Like, right there we go. Yes, yeah. so that's the uh, the New York Williamsburg hipster uh, old fashioned boombox. You just you yeah. wear the phonograph uh, around your neck. But for, <laughs> hey, for that amount, uh, Scott and I will come to your house and actually play the record for you and and interrupt the record and each other while we're doing it. 
I um I can't wait for that new Patreon tier to come down the okay. line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the unattainable tier. Yeah, well, for uh, but in all seriousness, you can find Astonishing Legends anywhere you get podcasts. Pretty much anywhere. Plus, we have a website, astonishinglegends.com. We're Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or whatever podcasts. They, they it's like we killed they killed iTunes, and now they're just calling it podcast. But that's really only on iOS. If you're on your computer, it's still called iTunes. So whatever yeah. with that. Yeah. And then. Uh, um, just everywhere. We're pretty much everywhere you can get podcasts, and occasionally even some. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, and it doesn't have old shows on it, but we're about to start uploading to that as well. And if you can't wait for that, there's usually somebody bootlegging us on YouTube. And uh, <laughs> um, I think that's you know that's everywhere that you that you'll stumble across astonishing legends. Yes, well, <laughs> that's great. Uh, thank you guys again. Um, and uh. You know, folks, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or on your TV screen watching Unsolved Mysteries. In gray, we trust.